0: listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad and uh, it's a long, long way from Canada to Ireland and Ireland to Canada and uh, for many of us, one could say it was a marathon journey. Well, today we're going to hear about some other marathon journeys. We're having a chat with Alan Corkin and Alan is from Waterford and recently, relatively recently moved to Canmore, Alberta but in 2012 Alan ran 35 marathons in 35 days and turned it into a book Marathon Man, My Life, My Father's Stroke and Running 35 Marathons in 35 Days and that was 2012 but that wasn't enough for for Alan in 2017 he set out to swim 500 kilometres and uh, ran into a bit of a challenge after 210 kilometres but No, he's not going to be defeated like that. So he headed back in 2019 and did a 500-kilometre swim. And that was from uh, the, um, up Mallonhead, up that neck of the woods up in the north of Ireland and ended up down in Tremorne County, Waterford. So uh, then he took another journey in 2021 where he came from Waterford out to Canmore, Alberta. Alan Corcoran, thanks a million for taking the time coming on Irish Radio Canada. Pleasure to meet you, and I'm looking forward to learning more about your story.
1: Hi, Austin. Lovely to be chatting to you this morning.
0: Um, Bit of background. Uh, Waterford, uh, your dad is a tremendous inspiration. We're going to hear about that. So, um, first of all, uh, your interest in um, marathons, and um, maybe I should work backwards. and Let's start with, you came to Canada just last August. What brought you out here?
1: Uh, My girlfriend, Caroline, uh, she loved the place. I've I've never been been over to to Canada um, or to Canmore. We were planning to come here on a holiday to to scope it out, but then COVID kicked off, and that uh, scuppered that plan. So we said, hey, why why not move over here instead? (laughs) So that's it. I jumped on the plane last August and uh, have been loving my experience here so far, exploring the the trails and trying to avoid the Grizzlies.
0: Indeed, and the scenery is stunning where you are. There, you're looking up at the Three Sisters, and, and then uh, right up into Jasper, and um, uh, you have the uh, just the lakes and Banff, and all that area. Stunning area to be in.
1: Absolutely spoiled here, yeah. Surrounded by the the Rocky Mountains, and getting to some world-class ski slopes as well within sort of twenty minutes' drive. So, yeah, no complaints from me.
0: Right, so we won't ask if you have any plans for any um, marathon feat within the skiing side of it or that yet, but let's take a, a step back to Ireland, and you grew up in Waterford.
1: I did, yeah, grew up grew up in Waterford City, um, and yeah, lived lived there until I was 18 before heading off to, to college in, in Dublin and over to Wales and Scotland as well, before working in London as a town planner for seven, eight years before my trip over here
0: and at what point then if you were in London and town planning at what point did you come back to Ireland or what brought you back to Ireland
1: well when Covid kicked off that that allowed remote working so I was uh, out of the big smoke (laughs) as quickly as I could and back to Tremor to the seaside uh, to work remotely uh, from there so thankfully I was able to do that with the technology these days and and live by the seaside for, for the year
0: Okay, so then back in 2012, when you decided you'd run the 35 marathons in 35 days, um, am I allowed to ask what age were you then?
1: (laughs) I was 20 when I had the idea, um, and my dad had the stroke, so that was sort of the main catalyst for that. And I had gave myself like a a year to prepare, um, eight months of training. And it was a bit more before that. Then trying to organise the the, the training and some of the logistics parts of it. Um, so I was 21 when I actually set off uh, from People's Park in Waterford City to circumnavigate Ireland and become the first person to do so on foot. Right.
0: So so you were. That was when you were in college in Dublin. So uh, you were. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, I was working uh, working part-time as a dishwasher (laughs) in a hotel, scrubbing dishes and pots and pans and uh, a full-time student as well up in in DIT, up in Dublin studying town planning. There's uh, a lot to take on to be be learning uh, marathon running as well on top of that or ultra running, I suppose, when you get to that scale.
0: Now, when you say learn, um, an awful lot of people would simply say marathon running is just you get out there, you train, and you train, and you train, and you build up your resilience and your energy, and you pace yourself, and you go, and you're ready to do it, but I'm just hearing there's a lot more to it than that.
1: Yeah, I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Um, I suppose I signed up naively thinking it was just a running challenge, but in the end it ended up being a much more than that with all the, the logistics in terms of you're, you're organising a 35-day tour of Ireland going around the coastline with your support car and support team, physios. Also, this was important to me that it was for charity an um, aid of the Irish Heart Foundation. It was obviously the National Stroke Charity and the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary there uh, in Dublin, which were instrumental in my dad's stroke recovery. So you have to obviously publicise uh, that aspect of it as well to try raise money and thankfully that went went great we raised 15,000 euro um, over over that month or two of, of the challenge so, so there's a lot more to
0: it than just running <laughs> yeah. yeah Alan your dad was a young man when he had a stroke relatively speaking yeah,
1: yeah he was 60 he was 60 um So it obviously took me by surprise. Anyway, I was 20, he was 60, and I got the phone call when I was in Scotland uh, studying. Um, At that time, I was on an Erasmus, just a a one-semester exchange over there. So it was the furthest I had been from home and the most isolated I had been. was obviously growing up in Waterford with my family and then studying just up the road in in Dublin. So to be over in Scotland to get that devastating news, uh, yeah, knocked knocked the wind out of my sails as as a young man, as a young student. And uh, but look, thankfully, he was able to get back to nearly ninety-nine percent of his former self with the help of the National Rehabilitation Hospital, um learning how to walk again, talk again, drive. So he had a, he had a struggle, but he's a stubborn, determined man, Smila.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I noticed that you um, give great uh, space and uh, have tremendous warmth and respect for your dad, Um and that, you know, so many of us don't really get the opportunity to get to know our parents. And I, what struck me is that you've had that opportunity to get to know your your father in a way that, um, at a deeper level than a lot of people might.
1: Yeah, well, I think the the stroke probably had a lot to do with that. It, um, it reminds you of how finite your time is. So I think we, we salvaged our time together then, even more so. I suppose I was turning into an adult as well becoming 2021 so it was no longer just a father-son relationship, we were able to become friends um, and, and even this, this Marathon Lap of Ireland brought us closer together because we had this project to work on, he was instrumental in the success of that and we even had a, a three day recce tour around Ireland where, where he drove me Um that was important for him to be to be able to get his independence back to drive me around and scope out the route together so Yeah, it was a great bonding experience.
0: Now, that was your your reconnaissance flight. You mentioned there's a huge logistical challenge. I know you would have experienced like we would have experienced when we emigrated. You had a logistical challenge just of uprooting, kind of saying I need to pack and all the rest of it. But to plan for 35 days of um, where every night you're in a different spot and you have to take in, as you say, your physio and all the rest of it. you basically a year of preparation, you were saying. Yeah, so I was I was a track sprinter
1: um, as a teenager, so just getting into marathon running was a was a big step up. There's a difference in a, a lap of a track, which is 400 meters, and a lap of Ireland, which is 1,500 kilometers. So um, there was a, there was a lot of work, a lot of uh, solo training miles around Phoenix Park in Dublin, um, and a lot of training marathons to get in. It was eight months prior to standing on the start line. I hadn't even ran one marathon. I hadn't even ran a half marathon. So I, I was up against it. And the odds were against me, all right. But I uh, chipped away at it, chipped away at it, and uh, got, got the job done in the end after a lot of blisters and lost toenails.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's actually an interesting when you mentioned that, that uh, the logistics of just organizing where you're going to sleep every night and all that, but then the physical toll that 35 continuous Pounding days take on the body and the um, renewal that you have to do on a daily basis in order to be ready for the next day. Where were you and how did you strategize that?
1: Well, I suppose initially I had the romantic notion of moving 26.2 miles per day on foot and then scoping out the area as a tourist and exploring the country. But then once I got going and the, the miles started clocking up, that was just a pipe dream. So I suppose once I had finished each day's marathon, it, I was very honed in on my recovery. So I was trying to get off my feet and get calories in, get to the physio, get to bed early. Sleep was was number one. Um, so I was getting making sure I got nearly 10 hours every night. And I, I, I was blown away by the how I could recover from that and get up. I remember waking up after day four in the middle of the night to go to the toilet, which was a lesson to cut off my liquids a bit earlier so I wouldn't be waking up. But I was I was just hobbling to the to the toilet and seeing my reflection in the mirror going, Jeepers, I only have another four hours now and I have to get up and can barely walk. But then four hours later and you get your stretching in and your foam rolling in and a bit of a, a warm up in your food into you
0: off again for for another whirlwind adventure. <laughs> So, on average, how many hours would each leg have taken you? Cause, and I would imagine at the beginning, your first day, you did better than that. But once you start to pace yourself, what was your goal to achieve each leg? How many hours? Um,
1: well, my, my training marathons, I did 10 of them over the eight months um, in preparation, and they all came in at around four and a half hours. So, that was sort of my, my aim initially, just I, I felt that that was within reach or comfortable, but I suppose the, bo- the body doesn't allow it. Um, my first marathon on day one there was around four and a half hours, and my last marathon was four and a half hours. So in between, it, it varied from four and a half to six and a half, and the average was, I think, five and a half. Um, the, the main thing for me was just not to, to let the ego get involved or not to try think I need to run a fast marathon. The goal was run, run a lap of Ireland. 35 marathons in 35 days, and that that was thankfully drilled into me by uh, Jerry Duffy, who had previously ran 32 Martins in 32 counties in 32 days. So I met up with him in man uh, and he he drilled that into me. He said, "Don't get carried away. Learn from his mistakes, because in the middle of his challenge, he thought he was feeling good and tried to get in at sort of a quicker three and a half hour, three hour marathon, and then he paid the price for for the whole following week. So it was just." staying measured was patient uh, and keeping the, the end goal in mind I suppose uh, around two thirds of the money that I raised came after I crossed the finish line so making sure I got to the finish line and got that last bit of publicity for those charities was was key
0: and Alan I've heard people say who went to walk the, the 500 kilometer or the 800 kilometer Camino that it was important to set yourself uh, time off each week so that they'd run, walk for five days and take two days off to recover. Did you have it in your schedule that you would were, run five days, take two off, or was it that you were on to a full straight 35 days?
1: Straight 35 days, no, no days off. Um, again, probably naivety on my part, having not run a marathon when I signed up for this. I remember uh, talking to Jerry Deegan, who's a, a former Irish international cross-country runner uh, who would have been running with the likes of John Tracy and that, he, he had a two-hour uh, 18 marathon under his belt. Um, Jerry Deegan, and he was saying, you're absolutely bonkers to be not taking a day off, you need a day off. But I had to reassure him that my, my marathons were slightly different to his marathons, that I wouldn't be doing it in two hours and 18 minutes uh, at breakneck speed. So, yeah, it, it also added in more logistics if I was to take at the day off every week that he was recommending because then you have another, essentially a week of of expenses um, trying to get the, the accommodation, trying to get crew. I suppose I was relying on volunteer crew coming in, mostly right. my friends right. um, who had to take time off work. So there, there was all that to, to weigh up as well um, in, into the mix.
0: The other thing, Alan, I don't think, with my knowledge of Ireland, and I know you'll agree with me, that there are locations conveniently located... Uh, 26.2 miles apart where, where, where you can get bed and breakfast so <coughs> so, how did you decide on, on where you would stop and I, I assumed that not every day was exactly 26 whatever kilometres but there was a little more um, on occasions
1: so I'd, so I'd run 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometres um, and then I'd put down a marker on the road and Take a few photos of the area to make sure that I came back to the same point right. the next day. So that was important to me. that I was joining up all the the dots along the route myself and on foot, but and then from there, then my team, my support team would take me off to a an air or a, to a, a B and B. There's no Airbnb at the time, but to a and B or to a a hotel or to wherever would put us up for the nice freely we were we were beggars but that that was the lucky thing about moving 26.2 miles up the road you weren't hassling the same people to support you each night yeah. um, which became a struggle on the swim and i was doing my swim challenge years later where you were stuck in the same port or harbour for, for several nights in a row so they'd be getting you <laughs> with the run you were moving on to the next town thankfully
0: When you're out running, and I remember there was a book many, many, many years ago, Alan Silla taught, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Um, You're out there, you are on your own, and it's a lonely place to be. How did you cope mentally?
1: I think I sort of enjoyed the peace of it. I never never found it too difficult being being on my own, I suppose. Uh, Even when I was doing the 35 days, there was probably more people around than when I would have been training at 6am running around the trails up in Dublin and and on the roads. So even when I was in the 35 days, there would have been my two-man support team. Um, I did have headphones for a while playing a bit of radio,
0: but they broke on day five. So (laughs) back
1: to the thoughts in my head.
0: So then um, when you mentioned radio, I know what was very important was that you were able to capitalise to some degree on getting media exposure. Uh, in order to raise funds how did the media uh, help you along and w- I, I assumed that the, uh, you were able to get the media doors open for you
1: yeah well the Irish Heart Foundation's uh, communication uh, manager and team did a phenomenal job in, in getting it out there and my dad used to be as well the, the president of the Football Association of Ireland so he was able to ask a favour of Giovanni Trapattoni who was the Irish team manager at the time who was down in Waterford for a press conference anyway. So I, I sort of tagged in on that and got a photo with him. So that was our, our photo opportunity with the, right. the Irish Heart Foundation then circulated and the Irish National Papers picked it up and that sort of got the ball rolling with donations coming in. But as I was saying, it wasn't really until I got the challenge done that the, the donations came in. I think maybe when I had five days to go, I had maybe raised around 7,000 euros. But right. then the week and two after I finished the challenge is when it bumped up to fifteen thousand euros. So people were waiting to see if I was all talk or if I could walk the walk as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Literally. So then the book. Yeah. Where when did you or had you made a decision before starting out that you would chronicle this or turn it into a book as well?
1: Um, I did, but I wasn't. I wasn't uh, gung ho on it. I, I did keep a diary as I went around and took notes and that. But it wasn't until COVID kicked off that I actually sat down, so it was a good, maybe nine odd years later that I sat down and actually wrote the book and put pen to paper. Um, I suppose I was kept busy with my career as a town planner and also working on the length of Ireland, uh, sea swim. So I had other passions that I was following, but I suppose just the the timing felt right and, and it felt like something I wanted to do my my lap of Ireland run was inspired by seeing a documentary on TV and my length of Ireland swim was inspired by a book that I read. So it was important to me then to sort of pass that that mantle on as it were and possibly inspire some other people to do it after their own notions.
0: <laughs> so now let's talk about the swim scene as you did bring it up and that was uh, initial first attempt 2017. You managed two hundred and ten kilometers and then you come you managed the full five hundred kilometers in two thousand and nineteen. Um bit of the background on that. Uh
1: a similar born out of I suppose the the flames of, of life really was uh, my dad had got cancer uh, five years after this after the stroke, so that was in the wars. Um and unfortunately after three weeks after his diagnosis he had died. So that that was I suppose it was me turning to sports again as a coping mechanism to try to create something good out of, out of that nightmare um, in my family's life so again I'd given myself 8 months to go um, he died in August and I'd set my sights to do this swim the following summer um, unfortunately, it didn't go to plan the first time around. I think it was too ambitious of a preparation period since I was, was a sprinter and then a, a marathon runner to try to get the grips with sea swimming and marathon sea swimming and all the, the extra logistics that you have to deal then when you're at sea rather than driving down the road. Everything becomes that much more complicated and uh, with safety and, and such. So um the first attempt raised 13,000 euros uh for cancer and stroke charities and then the second attempt then managed to raise a further sixteen thousand euro. So yeah, I was happy with the sum of money that it managed to raise in the end and to, to honour my dad and, and do a tribute to him that could could raise such money for, for those charities.
0: Alan when you talk logistics, you said on the marathon you'd go and you'd put a marker on the road and you were able to move off um yeah. and go to B and B and get some R and R. Uh, for the swimming, how did you logistically set the course? And then, when you got to each the end of each day, how was that dealt with? Yeah, I didn't realise how good I had it with the marathon,
1: <laughs> the marathon <laughs> running. <laughs> so the the first time around, um, I had a rib, which is a, a rigid inflatable boat, like you you'd see with the little motor on the back of it. So there's no seeping on that. You're 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 out out exposed to the elements. So so that was having uh, the support team there, trying to find accommodation. But we were starting up in the Giants Causeway. It's a long way from Waterford, so we weren't really that well connected and ended up having to, to fork out a bond, was just my own savings, uh, personally funding these. There's no major sponsors on board. Um, and then the second time around, after the, the rip had sank on the first attempt, I uh, took out a, a big bank loan and, and got a, a sailboat for the second one. Um, again, personally, Financing that, um, without without the big sponsors behind, there's no Red Bull backing me, um, and then we were sleeping on that uh, sailboat for the, the five weeks of the that journey. So it was very cramped with, with four of us, four hmm. of us on that thirty-two foot sailboat. And um, yeah, so we we'd, we'd swim along for as much as the tide would allow us, um, and then you'd get your your GPS coordinates off the off the tracker and and off the GPS system there. Drive back in, it could have a, nearly a, a three, four hour commute back into the port and then back out to the start line the next day back to your previous previous line.
0: How far out from shore then were you swimming? Like, How did you determine your route? Uh, well, a lot of the time you,
1: you can't really determine it with the wind and the waves and the tide. You're sort of dragged any which way Mother Nature wants to take you. Um, but we were a few miles offshore trying to get uh, the tide to give us a push. I suppose less, less the tide if you're 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 riding right on shore and then you have the extra danger of, of rocks where you don't want yourself or your sailboat or, or support kayak or anywhere next near our body. So we were a mile or two offshore. Um, so you, I couldn't see too much of land from where I was. I suppose I had a romantic notion of seeing the coastline, but when you're down in the water you're just fixated on, on not getting lost or separated from your support team. So you're essentially a man overboard at all times. So not not the best situation to be in.
0: And when you were on the road and, and, and running, you said that you have a team with you. So you said that you nearly had more people around about you than you had when you were training. When you get in the water and you're swimming, you wouldn't have had the same either ability to communicate or contact with your support team. So how long each day when you were in the water did you spend?
1: Uh, It was up to six hours, um, up to six hours of swimming a day. It started off at maybe around four hours and then sort of built, built it up then once I got to Dublin, started pushing it out. Uh, to try and make the the, the swim finale, which I'd organised, and insurance was paid, so there was pressure on to make it to the to the finish line, which adds a bit of tension in the the documentary that I've made. So, <laughs> will I get there in time or not? And uh, it was with that extra added pressure of trying to make the, the public swim to the land, there was more and more errors uh, happening as as we were coming down the around Canser Point on the southeast coast. Uh, which were, which was getting a bit yeah, was getting a bit hairy as the days were drawn in and that start or the finish line was coming
0: within reach. And uh, perfect. You, you lead right into the documentary. So oh, the documentary. Uh, <laughs> tell tell us where uh, where it's at and um Unthinkable.
1: Unthinkable, yeah, that was uh, I rebranded the the sailboat from Shogun of Lorne to Unthinkable too which is apparently a no-no in the sailing world, but I wasn't a sailor, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, the sailboat was caught Unthinkable, too, for the second challenge. And, yeah, we completed the with a, a the documentary with a local production team from Watford called Imagine, um, and with the support of crowdfunders, uh, we got maybe €6,000 from 121 backers to fund the production of, of this documentary. And we've had a premiere last week in Colorado, at the uh, Lyon in Ireland International Film Festival and we're at the London Mountain Film Festival this month uh, for May and that's actually a virtual event so anyone from around the world can, can watch it through the London Mountain Film Festival but again I've submitted to I would say maybe 40, 50 film festivals uh, hoping to get into bands is the dream mm-hmm. and I know over in Ottawa, there's the Irish Film Festival mm-hmm. there so it's all on our radar we just have to cross our fingers and hope that these people in the the judging panel select us so we've been selected for four film festivals so far and now we just have to to sit and wait patiently and hope people like what we've made
0: Um, and we we will connect you with the the guys here in Ottawa and of course there's the Toronto and then Senegal is in Montreal and Vancouver so there's a great selection of Irish film festivals across the country Um, and across the
1: world yeah
0: yeah. and they're very supportive of uh, the local Productions so um that's completed uh, now that you so with all those things now under your belt, what's the future hold
1: uh, well I'm, I'm working on writing the book for the swim and ho- hopefully it'll be a bit more timely than uh than my maritime man run book <laughs> which is a, which is a bit later after the the challenges, so that's that's the next sort of short term uh goal so I'm hoping to have that that finished uh, this year and get getting it out maybe next year um Tea up with the release of the film after we do our 12-month film festival tour, but uh, hopefully I have a few more challenges in me. I'm I'm 31 now, so I'm not not over the hill yet. I love him being out on the trails here in uh, Canmore with the Canmore Trail Culture guys and the the Bow Valley Dirtbag Runners. So there's there's plenty of plenty of running going on and keeping fit as a fiddle or fit as I can anyway. And uh, yeah, we'll see what the future holds in terms of if there's any. Challenges that might take my eye again. I did try to stand up paddleboard around Ireland last summer, uh, which didn't go to plan. Uh, Unthinkable Sue ended up crashing off a rock in Ardmore, <laughs> and uh, we had a we had a mayday, mayday, and an are L.I. rescue. So right. uh, that's that's maybe that's maybe one there that I'd like to go back and. Uh, correct that loss on the record but we will see I suppose it's down to timing and uh, funding these things as I was saying it's very difficult to get sponsors so it's usually down to to saving up myself and uh, and, and getting that, that drive to go after these things
0: Alan do you have any siblings? I have a brother, an older brother
1: Evan yeah yeah so he was uh, he was the one that got me into sports. He's eight, eight years older than me. Uh, heavily involved in Gaelic football and soccer and going to the gym and that. So he was he was a big inspiration. Yeah, growing up to, to try following his, feet, his footsteps.
0: Right. And is he back in Waterford? Or uh, he is. Yeah, he's he's back in Waterford. He's
1: uh, an environmental health officer with the, the HSE. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. And um, I'm sure uh, uh, your mum must be very proud of all the work you have done in. Um, I think she's very
1: stressed about all the work that I've done. <laughs> she's uh, she's your typical stereotypical Irish mammy, uh, or maybe stereotypical mammy, I don't know. Yes, yeah. so she gets uh, she gets worried and stressed about the the risk I'd be I'd be taking with swimming offshore and running back to back marathons and hurting myself, I suppose. So she's always concerned about my safety first and foremost. I think she was happier when I took to, to writing and filmmaking, the safer pastimes.
0: <laughs> When you look back at this stage um, and the amount of training, the amount of running, the amount of swimming that you have done, how would you rate um, your the the impact that it has had on your physical being?
1: I, I don't think it's negative. Um, people always sort of warn me about the damage I would do to my body and stuff but I think the, the pros in my experience have certainly outweighed the cons. There's no uh, long-lasting injuries or damage, I suppose, from from those events. And if anything, they they helped me get out of the the rough spot. uh, I suppose the emotional turmoil of my dad having a stroke and and getting cancer. So, yeah, sport has been one of my Main passions in life and, and loves from the age of six, so it's been an important, important part of my life, and I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for all the money in the world.
0: <laughs> and Alan, I have to say, what I'm hearing uh, over from when you took on the challenge from the beginning right up to now is that um, I'm hearing the voice of somebody who is, uh, I would say, a, a good relationship with yourself. I, I think so. I try anyway. I try uh, try
1: keep uh, try keep myself in check and just enjoying enjoying life, I suppose, as best I can, and uh, fo- following things that take my interest, whether whether be writing a book or making a film, or going running, yeah. or paddling on the water, just getting out there and, and doing doing what I can, uh, doing what yeah. I can when I can, when I can.
0: Yes, because we've come through, as you say, with COVID we've come through challenging times and one of the things I know I was hearing because I was in Ireland for some of that period in County Waterford was that um, we're hearing that this is going to have a tremendous toll and has had a tremendous toll on people's mental health Mm -hmm. and you took to getting down and finally writing the book, but obviously you've a way of coping on a daily basis that carries you through and that the marathon running, the swimming and everything else that you've done has given you that ability to take a challenge on the daily basis, get through it and get on to the next day?
1: For me, it's just trying to make positives out of negatives um, as best I can. I suppose you can't always control what happens in life, whether it's COVID or somebody getting sick or, you know, that's just part and parcel of it, but I suppose you can always have control over how you respond to it. And for me, when COVID kicked off, it was all right. I'm, I'm stuck in lockdown. This is crap. <laughs> uh, my health is at risk. your mother's health health is at risk. It's like, what what can I do? And that was sitting down and writing the book, and get my story out there. Right. Um, and that's sort of just my attitude. And some, something goes wrong, I suppose. Is what's what's the best way to react? And I said, yeah, that may have come from the from the running and from the swimming and, and that.
0: Right, right. Um, how has the book been doing for you since you got it out there?
1: So far, so good. Uh, won't, won't be quitting with day job as a town planner any time soon. But it's been received great critic uh, praise, so I'm happy with that. The Canadian Running Magazine gave it a great book review uh, right. there in, in, in last month's edition, and um, maybe sold just over a thousand copies. And some of the reviews are coming in on Amazon, which is lovely to see. People found it. Uh, humorous and entertaining, which is, I suppose, the, the goal number one. And people saying that they were inspired by it. So that's that's all I can ask for, really. Right. Uh, it was never never a money making uh, ambition. It was just it was a passion project, and hoping that I could, yeah, entertain people and, and give people a bit of a laugh as well and inspire them. So I think those boxes have been ticked. So to me, it's a that's a success story.
0: Right. Well, Alan, it's been a real pleasure chatting. It has been a real pleasure getting to know you. Um, if anybody wants to get their hands on the book or get find out more about you, I know you have a website there, marathonman.co. That's marathonman.co, and the book is available on Amazon and uh, some other places. Uh, I assume. Yeah,
1: if you if you just Google Marathon Man and Alan, you'll you'll come across me there in one form or another. It's yeah, Marathon Man is on on Amazon and it's on Audible and the audio book version. And there's an ebook version up as well. And then Unthinkable, you just have to watch this space. As I said, it's it's online at the London Mountain Film Festival is the first one, and then hoping that we can get Unthinkable into into Pan Film Festival and a few more Canadian and Irish film festivals as well uh, over
0: 2022. Right. On the Audible, who did the recording? Did you do it yourself? I did it myself. Yeah, well, I have to slow down my 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 accent and. <laughs> Uh, pronounce
1: uh, things a bit better uh, and I had the production team there shouting at me saying, you can't say it this way and say it that way. That was an experience, another learning
0: curve. There you go. Alan Corcoran, thanks a million for taking the time. It's Uh, been a real pleasure. Thanks very
1: much, Austin. really Really appreciate it.